all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, where we discuss issues involving your children as they're growing up. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC and Program Director of the MedPeds Residency Program. What issues are you worried about concerning your kids and teens? Well, today is open line day, so any and all questions are welcome. We'll also be answering some emails that we've received over the past few weeks. And anything that you want to talk about, today is the day to call in to get some free medical advice. You can share your comments and questions with us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 or you can email us at kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens from MPB Think Radio. Catch up on past episodes and hear any of the MPB programs you've missed on the MPB Public Radio app. Available on iTunes and Google Play. Listen live to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio. Search MPB Public Radio. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting. I'm Terry Gross. Listen to Fresh Air weekdays at 3 on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Good morning. Glad to be with you this morning. This is Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC and You've reached Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, where we care about the health of your kids and your family. And today is open line day on the show, which means that we're going to take any and all questions about any kind of things that you have questions about, about the health care of your family. Any topic related to kids and teens is free game. And if you have any comments on anything, too, we'd love to hear from you. It's good to hear those comments, to learn from each other. And we'll also be discussing some of the uh, health care issues in the news, particularly as they relate to pediatrics, and a couple of follow-up emails from uh, previous shows that we've received. You can share your comments and experiences this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or you can send us an email to kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. Wow, the heat is crazy out there. The humidity, uh, actually, due to an injury, I got out yesterday morning at six a.m. for the first time and uh, and ran a little bit, and it was man, it was I was drenched uh, after that, even for just a short distance. Uh, but it is, it's still dangerous out there. That's why I brought that up. And uh, so if you have young kids, pets, 
anything else that uh, might be affected by the heat, which is all of us really need to make sure that you're limit limiting your time out in the sun, particularly to times of day that have uh, a little bit less heat, which in Mississippi, that may be three o'clock in the morning for you. But uh, but uh, basically, if you can stay out of the of the sun, if you can during the middle of the day, that's that's good. If you have to be out there, make sure you've got plenty of things to keep you hydrated, like water or uh, rehydration drinks that have a lot of electrolytes and carbohydrates in them. So be careful. And uh, also be careful in the car, too. Uh, car, uh, as we know, we've, we've unfortunately, every year we see some uh, car heat-related illnesses with kids uh, that are left in the car, even for short periods of time. That can be a very dangerous situation uh, with the internal temperature of that car upwards of 120 degrees or more. And uh, particularly with younger kids, it just really can't uh, they can't tolerate that too well. So be careful out there. Speaking of other summertime illnesses and what's in the news, you know, Zika virus continues to be a big concern. Uh, certainly it was uh, sort of brought to the attention of a lot of people with the Olympics last week. Uh, and um, unfortunately, we didn't see a lot of that with the Olympics. We'll have to see what, what uh, comes out of all the athletes that were there with exposures. But, of course, uh, southern Florida around the Miami-Dade County area is seeing a lot of Zika uh, virus. And just to bring everybody updated, if you haven't uh, noted about you know, just what's going on with Zika, how does it, why is it such a big deal, how does the virus work, and uh, what are some of the complications – Zika uh, originally is from the tropics. Uh, it is uh, it is transmitted by a what we call a vector, which is an, another animal that transmits that virus to people, similar to to West Nile, which I think most people are uh, are um, familiar with. And uh, the the difference is is that Zika usually it it causes a couple of different symptoms that are similar to West Nile. So you might have a fever, uh, a rash. Painful joints uh, are the three most common things that you might see in kids or adults with this. But the danger, of course, with Zika is that pregnant women who develop this virus, who who uh, catch this virus uh, from being bitten by mosquitoes, uh, their children are at higher at a higher risk for having microcephaly, which is an abnormal development of the brain, so that you don't have as much brain tissue. And we're finding out a couple of other things too, unfortunately, that it can cause like joint problems later on. The other thing that's different about this versus West Nile is that this can be transmitted sexually. So if a man picks it up, uh, if he's bitten by a mosquito, uh, he can transmit that virus to a female who's pregnant. And uh, once you're exposed for males, that's about six months that you can transmit that virus later that you're infectious so that you can you know, continue the transmission rate. Uh, most of the cases that we've seen in Florida, which is, I think, as of yesterday, right, just over 500 cases that are travel related. In other words, people who got Zika outside the country and traveled into the Miami area. However, now, because probably because of mosquitoes biting those people and becoming infected with the virus and transmitting it to others, we've got about 43 cases of non-travel related infections of Zika. And about 70 of that total number, 70 people are pregnant. So that's a big deal. The best way to prevent the transmission of this is, of course, avoiding contact with mosquitoes. If you have mosquitoes in the yard, making sure you're treating them. We have not seen any Zika in Mississippi. Uh, There's, of course, a possibility because we have the same type of mosquito that transmits this. 
and we certainly don't want it to become a problem in the state. So uh, just there's plenty of other things you can get from mosquitoes like West Nile. So it's best to just uh, put on that mosquito repellent. Uh, make sure that you're not, uh, you know, not exposing your yourself to uh, to those mosquitoes uh, in in those areas, and hopefully we won't have to deal with it here. And uh, you know, Florida's doing a great job right now of trying to contain this as much as possible and reduce the risk of those birth defects in kids whose moms were affected by the virus. So that's just a little bit of an update about Zika and just some encouragement to stay away from those nasty, pesky, pesky mosquitoes. And under last night, I took the top off the grill, took the cover off the grill, and there were some, apparently there's some uh, places uh, in the cover that uh, I, I think I was bombarded with at least 100,000 mosquitoes. It reminded me of one of those off commercials from the 70s and 80s where people would be subjected to these, you know, this is how good off works, and they put you in these big tanks full of mosquitoes. That's what I felt like. Uh, so be careful out there and uh, protect yourself got a couple of calls this morning and if you want to call in it's open line friday uh sorry open line thursday got my days mixed up that means if you have any kind of uh question that you have about the health of you or your children you can call us here at southern remedy kids and teens the number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING that's 1-877-672-7464 or you can email us at kids and teens at mpbonline.org Let's go to Bell in Yazoo City. Good Hello. Mo- good morning, Bell. Thank you for calling. Oh, thank you for taking my call. I just wanted to make a statement. I've heard you and Dr. Rick talking about immunizations, and um, it might be possible for the people in Crosby, and I think that's right on the Amit and Wilkinson County line, they might be able to get a free tetanus shot after these floods at their county health department. I had this to happen in 2011 when we had floods in Yazoo, and I just went to the health department to update my pneumonia shot, and they told me that they were giving free um, tetanus shots for a while because we had been recently impacted by the floods. I don't know if they still have that program, but that was five years ago. But I did want to pass it along. Yeah, thanks. And I thank you for taking my call. Oh, sure. I'll listen off the off the phone. Sure. Thanks for calling, Bill. That's a, that's a great question. You know, anytime you have a natural disaster like that, like we had, uh, unfortunately, in southern uh, Louisiana and in parts of Mississippi uh, with the flooding, you you're at risk for a number of things. Uh, certainly tetanus is one of those uh, that we can immunize against. Uh, and what we know about that immunity is it wanes with time. It goes away with time, and generally about every 10 years you should be getting a tetanus shot. Um, That's a great time to try to immunize people to protect them from that. If you're in those areas, there's a higher risk with any kind of disaster of being cut, of being exposed to those bacteria that cause tetanus. Uh, and it's, it doesn't have to be much to do that. 
Uh, I'm not aware if any of the health departments are in Mississippi or Louisiana are offering these free immunizations like you mentioned, like they have with other natural disasters. Uh, it's it's a low copay. I don't know exactly what it is, but I know people that, that have gone by the, your local health department. Probably a good idea to just, if you're in those areas and you, you know you're going to be exposed to some of those conditions, just to go ahead and call the health department just to see what they offer at that time and uh, and protect yourself, uh, you know, in, in those environments. You know, tetanus is one of those things if uh, rusty metal, you know, basically it's not, that's the, the characteristic thing that we always talk about. But you can also get it from uh, in soil, in soil that's sort of, uh, that's been agitated, that's been sitting there for a while. Uh, there's some other situations that you might you might contract that, uh, particularly if it's through the skin. And then, of course, there's infantile uh, ways of of con- uh, contracting that as well, but yeah, easy thing to get um, and check check it out. Uh, appreciate that uh, reminder to uh, to make sure that you're immunized against some of those things that you could be exposed to in a natural disaster. You know, we take so many things for granted uh, with how we live. Uh, sewage systems is a good example of that. Uh, and, uh, you know, people have uh, – there's sewage systems is probably the biggest thing that's been developed and other sanitary methods that have prevented uh, a loss of life, sickness, and death. So it's – you know, when those – when we have natural disasters, whether that's a hurricane, particularly here in the Mississippi Gulf coastal areas uh, or along the south – uh, you know, the, anything that affects those things that we take for granted, uh, uh, you can pop up with illnesses all over the place. And I, I worked a clinic in Long Beach uh, over an extended weekend about two weeks after Katrina hit. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things you have to look for in these areas are things that you wouldn't normally see. Infections are a big one. And people are more prone to infections because of all the stress, too. I mean, it's a horrendous, stressful experience to have to go through that, um, you know, talking and hearing a lot of the stories down there just right afterwards and then beyond. We, you know, we uh, helped out at UMC with a clinic at the Coliseum that took care of thousands of patients that were displaced uh, from South Mississippi and from Louisiana. So it's it's just a big setup for disease. So don't blow anything off. If you're listening to the radio today and you're being hit in those areas, uh, if you feel like you're getting sick, go go get some help. Uh, but preventing it is probably the best thing. So I appreciate that call. Let's go to Mavis in Jackson. Good morning, Mavis. Good morning. How are you? Good. Thank you for calling. Yes, I was, I was concerned. Um, I have an 18-year-old son who plays soccer. He's very fit, in shape, and he said off and on he's been having these pains, and the best place to describe it, he said, is his heart area, you know, left chest, and doesn't know if it's muscle or if it's his heart, and, you know, it'll, it kind of takes his breath away and, and very painful. It, so at what point do you know? Is it, is it muscle? Is it heart? And what do you do? Yeah, that's a great question. So a uh, couple of questions back to you first. So he's, you said he's 18 and he's pretty fit. So has he played sports, you know, up until this point? Since he was four years old, yes. Okay. And he's never had any problems with passing out or, you know, having any trouble that's limited him in those sports? No, not at all. Okay. No chest pain with those sports except what you just described? Right. Okay. And any any family history of um, heart disorders that you know of? Uh, my father. Yeah, okay. my father. And he was older when he developed those? Or? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so chest pain in, in an athlete, um, uh, particularly male athlete, is, is something we see 
pretty frequently in the clinic, um, particularly about this time of year. Uh, even if if you've got a seasoned athlete that's, uh, you know, in whatever sport that they're playing, whether that's football, soccer, baseball, it particularly when they enter back into activities where they, they're ramping up their training and they're playing, uh, chest pain is very common. I would say 99% of the time, these are self-limiting disorders. Um, you know, the way we teach this to medical students, I, I would ask the question, what's in the chest? And you go from the outside in. So we have skin, we have muscles, we have bones uh, in the chest wall with your ribs. We have muscles in between those bones. We have the lungs, we have the heart, we have the esophagus. So every single one of those things, every single, single one of those organs and tissues can cause pain. And that pain can be interpreted all the same way. Um, usually with the heart, we have sort of characteristic pains, but you never want to blow that off. Uh, so some of the questions I was asking about previous activity, if have they ever had any problems, uh, it, that would make it least likely. Um, now, some of the more concerning symptoms to watch out for if you have an athlete that suddenly uh, passes out, particularly while they're playing or they're participating in uh, training activities, uh, if they have chest pain prior to that and pass out or they do it with any kind of activity, that's something they probably should be checked about, uh, checked out about. Um, now, the, the chest wall pain is very common. You know, you've heard people talk about, I've had a stitch in my side, uh, you know, during practice. And most of the time we attribute that to uh, muscular strain or cramping. It's, so you can sort of have a cramp in the muscles in the chest wall, too. Or something that we call costochondritis, uh, which is a uh, inflammation of the joints that hold the ribs together to the to the uh, sternum. Um, you can you can have an inflammation of those uh, just because you're out there, you're breathing a lot harder. Again, it's hot right now. You know, hydration can sometimes uh, alleviate those. A little bit of ibuprofen, Advil, Motrin, those kinds of things that can help out with the pain. But red flags is if it's, you know, if it's if it's sort of a pressure type pain and not a sharp pain, if it's lasting for ex- extended periods, uh, that may be something that you needed to get checked out uh, or if it's limiting play. And, you know, there's a lot of discussion about what's the best screening uh, for athletes, uh, particularly at the collegiate level now. I know a lot of colleges will go ahead and go the extra mile and trying to uh, screen them uh, if they're playing collegiate sports with at least an EKG, and that's a, a tracing of the electrical activity of the heart, looking mainly for congenital abnormalities there. Um, and, you know, if, if the chest pain persists, that would be an easy test to get uh, to try to rule out some of those things that you're born with but may not may not come up until later uh, during sports activities. Uh, and some some programs will get what's called an echocardiogram, which is uh, using ultrasound, sort of like the ultrasound when you're pregnant, that they look at the baby and the different organs in the baby. Uh, they'll use that to look at the, the heart itself to see a number of things, to see structure. So they'll look at the valves in the heart. They'll look at the muscle in the heart to make sure that there's enough uh, th- the sizes and the cavities of the heart are appropriate, that the heart's pumping appropriately, uh, making sure that there's not any uh, closures of the arteries coming in or out of the heart or abnormal um, locations of those. 
But that's mainly if it, you know, if it persists, if he can sort of push through this. And then, you know, thinking about those other other organs that are in the chest, asthma could, uh, you know, can sometimes present this way, uh, particularly exercise-induced asthma, which usually comes on right when you start uh, physical activities. And it can lessen up, you know, five, ten minutes, minutes into it. But it should be, you know, should be a treated, treated appropriately. So I would say if it's, you know, if it's bothering him for more than about a week uh, or if it's limiting activities, he might need to get checked out uh, at a physician to have some of those, you know, sort of frontline tests. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Sure. Yeah, in, in athletics is such a big deal with everything that can go wrong and you know, so many concerns about the kids. You know, unfortunately, one or two a year in Mississippi will hear in high school that somebody uh, unfortunately died on the field and uh, it's it on one hand you can you can screen for a lot of that some of it you just can't screen for very easily but uh, if it persists and it's causing problems certainly something you could check you should check out or if you got a big family history of it open line day on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens we would love to hear from you plenty of time to answer your calls and questions and comments the number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can email us at kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after this break. The conventions are over. Candidates have been nominated with less than three months to Election Day. We don't know what's going to happen between now and then, but we will be here to help you understand it. Listen every day. Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think Radio. Today is Thursday, but you know what tomorrow is. It's Friday, and that means high school football. Hello, everyone. I'm Russ Robinson. Join me, Jay White, Jake Wimberly, George Broadstreet, and the whole gang as we bring you all the scores and the stories that make up high school football across the state of Mississippi. So join us tomorrow night at 10, right here on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and it's open line day, which means we would love to hear any kind of question, and you determine what we talk about uh, just by what your question or comment is. Been talking about a couple of things in the news, like Zika, and going to get to a couple of emails in just a second. But if you'd like to call in with your uh, question or comment this morning, the number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four, or you can email us at kidsandteens at mpbonline dot org. Well, here's an email that's sort of a follow up from uh, last week. We talked about a lot of GI issues, including constipation. This is from Sarah in Mendenhall. She says I have a uh, a two and a half year old girl who's had problems with eczema and uh, constipation. 
what causes such large volume stools? Sometimes the stools look like their adult size that she has. She frequently experiences pain when having these stools and sweats when she has them uh, and seems to be, have a hard time passing them. Uh, is there anything that we can do? We've tried Miralax in the past, which has led to some diarrhea, and have been trying some juice, which has worked up until recently. Please help. So constipation, particularly in that uh, age, as we mentioned last week, that's a big problem. Um, so the the problem there, uh, you know, a lot of people would ask, too, is there anything that they're born with that could cause this? Uh, about 95% of the time, these are, are, are benign, meaning that there's not a, a physiologic cause for this. Uh, uh, 95% of the time, they're called functional constipation. The other 5% do, you know, they present in a little bit different ways. This sounds like functional constipation. And some of the things that Sarah mentioned uh, is exactly what we would recommend. So Miralax is uh, an over-the-counter, previously prescription medication that's uh, safe in kids to use in this age. Uh, Basically, it holds water inside the stool to sort of soften things up. And what happens is the, the longer that child... Uh, usually they'll pass one bigger bowel movement. Uh, if it were you and I, we would do that and we would just get over it. But it does hurt if it's bigger uh, than the than the anus uh, where it uh, passes through. So you can have sometimes a little bit of a tearing there. Uh, certainly the pain is the biggest issue. Now, for an adult, we would just say, yep, I just need to get over that and next time go to the bathroom a little bit earlier. Well, a kid's not going to have the same mechanisms to sort of reason that out, particularly if they're in the toddler or young young child uh, ages. So what they think is nothing good ever came out of my bottom. So I'm not going to if I prevent anything from coming out, I won't have that pain. Unfortunately, when they clamp down and they have the same mechanisms for doing that after their potty train that we do, um, then the longer that stool sits there, the bigger it's going to get, more material you're going to have there. And as long as it sits in the large intestine, the large intestine's job is to reabsorb a lot of that water to save that water for the body uh, so it gets harder and harder and harder. So the key is making sure that it's loose. Now, you can certainly do that with with, uh, diet. You can help out a lot. So increase fiber intake and water intake uh, in this age range. Uh, That helps uh, to to make it a little bit softer. But once you get to the point where, uh, you know, some of the symptoms that Sarah mentioned in her daughter, uh, that's a little bit of a challenge because, again, you need to get it so soft that you do have a little bit of diarrhea so that it's really, really, really loose to the point where they can't hold it. And in a, a child who is potty trained, you might have a little bit of, uh, a little bit of uh, you know, um, uh, accidents uh, if it gets that loose. But they need to, to think, okay, it's going to be okay if I go to the bathroom. So that takes a while, sometimes weeks, uh, to get to that point. Juice works okay because, again, it's anything that will hold water in the stool, and the sugar in juice will do that. Uh, some kids, though, uh, just because of b- uh, bacteria breakdown, that, that sugar in the juice as well, uh, even in 100% uh, fruit juice. So you have to be a little bit careful with that uh, because it increases the amount of gas that they have. So if they have gas uh, and cramping along with the uh, constipation, um, that's something that you want to 
uh, watch out for. But I would I would really go to, with the Miralax and just try to titrate that down. And, and you can start off with a cap full and sort of back away from that at that age just to see what works. Getting that stool cleaned out uh, that's there in the rectum is the biggest thing. And you could probably do that from just with just the Miralax to begin with. It is frustrating to, to deal with that. And one of the biggest mistakes that I think patients, uh, families make is they don't treat them long enough. Once they get to the point where they're having soft stools, they'll back away from all of it. And it's easy to do, you know, if they're not having the symptoms, uh, but they might sort of gravitate back to, to having those harder stools. So, Thanks for thanks for that email. Great great question on how to treat that. And uh, there's a little bit of art to that. There's not any you know stereotypical way that you can do it, but the Miralax does work pretty well. Let's go to Louise in Mobile. Good morning, Louise. Good morning. Thank you for calling. You're welcome. It's a pleasure for me because it's very interesting. Your show is. I listen to it all the time. I have a general question. There are these ads on television now that suggest that the use of talcum powder may be related to cancer of one or some of the female organs. And my question is, would it also, could it also affect the prostate gland for a man if, uh, with the use of a lot of talcum powder? Um, you know, I, I don't want anybody for money or anything. I'm just curious. Right, right. Yeah, it's, you know, there's a lot of research into some of the environmental exposures uh, that can cause uh, different uh, cancers. Uh, some of the earlier work on this was in uh, the textile industry and uh, other factories where you had factory workers that were exposed to dyes or other substances uh, and uh, they were found to uh, cause cancer on down the line. Those are hard studies to do, uh, certainly great research in this area, because you have to look at the exposure of those people who were already exposed to it and compare that to the general population uh, who wasn't exposed to it but with the same similar characteristics. So talcum powder is, is one of those substances. Zinc is another one. Aluminum, uh, particularly aluminum in cans, has been looked at as a link to Alzheimer's. So there's lots of different research with different things. Um, and I would say, you know, there's not any clear-cut evidence. There's certainly some studies that did show an association of talcum powder with some of these malignancies. Certainly it's something that you can avoid if possible. Um, you know, a, a, a lot of things... A lot of people just uh, they live and breathe by talcum powder, um, and you you may have uh, you know maybe a different uh, sort of home remedy for that. But um, most of the time, some of the most of the topical things, if it's something in a powder form, there there hasn't been shown a clear cut link. But I would say you know if you're worried about that, um, I would just no. avoid it um, at this point. No, I'm not. I'm not. But, but I I just my my. <laughs> Antenna went up, you know, because I know some of the male organs are sort of parallel to some of the female organs. Right, right. Virgin. Yeah. And my husband used to use tons of of talcum powder in his shorts. You know, he'd just pour it in there like you would put salt on a salad. And uh, he died of prostate cancer. Right. You know, I have no motive or anything to do anything with it. I just became curious and I wanted to know if if this research has gone into that direction as well. Yeah, I'm not aware aware of any association between the talcum powder and prostate cancer. And one of the reasons it's a little bit more difficult with prostate cancer, uh, well, let me go back. So so you mentioned, you know, is there an association 
uh, really between the female cancers, the reproductive system, and male cancers? Uh, yes and no. Um, you know, most of the of the female cancers, ovarian, breast, uh, cervical, uh, they have sort of their own pathways of malignancy, whether that's a virus or whether that's environmental or genetic uh, reasons why people have those. The uh, same thing, genetics plays a big part in all cancers, um, but hormone levels do also. So the female cancers are much more sensitive as a whole to estrogen and progesterone, the normal female sex hormones. Uh, and then uh, prostate cancer is usually, um, you know, usually affected by testosterone uh, and the male sex hormone. So a little bit of difference there. I'm not aware of any association between talcum powder and prostate cancer. Part of the problem is that so many men do get prostate cancer. It's a slow-growing cancer. Uh, some men die of other um, other illnesses, other um, um, conditions, uh, and you don't find out about it, you know, until after they've died of these other things that they did have prostate cancer. So, it's so prevalent in the natu- in the in the population. Anything that common is is sort of hard to find out about. It's it's hard and easy. It's easy because you can look at a lot of different things because you've got a lot of patients that have it, uh, looking for these associations. On the other hand, so many people have it that you can find just about any association that you want to find, and it may not be something that causes it. Uh, so I, I'm not aware of that. Maybe there's a study out there that has seen that. I haven't I haven't seen anything lately looking at a a, a link between. Uh, talcum powder and uh, and prostate cancer. Uh, so, uh, but you know, if anybody's ever, and I understand you're not concerned about it yourself, but just curious about it. But if anybody's you know concerned about those kinds of things, my my approach has always been, hey, if you can live without it, live without it. Uh, don't worry about it. Try to just uh, you know look for some other ways to however you were using it to uh, fix that problem. But good question, Louise. And that's a big research area of cancers. American Cancer Society is always looking at associations of things. We uh, certainly have modified a lot of what we've done over the last century and a half, uh, two centuries, uh, because of those associations in the workplace. Uh, You know, OSHA and uh, a lot of other agencies have looked at ways to, to decrease the risk of, uh, of the things that we're exposed to and, and unfortunately, you know, our technology sort of outstripped us, and uh, we're exposed to all kinds of things now that we didn't know that uh, that cause a lot of a lot of problems. And it takes a lot of vi- vigilance and a lot of observational skills to to figure those things out. Thanks for calling, Louise. Uh, we appreciate you uh, sharing that question with us this morning. And uh, when we come back, we're gonna uh, catch back up with an email about uh, some tips and tricks about eating veggies for a toddler. Uh, Also, any other questions that you might have about anything, because it's open line day, you can give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email us at kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after this break.
Well, the conventions are over. Candidates have been nominated. With less than three months to Election Day, we don't know what's going to happen between now and then. But whatever it is, we'll be here to help you understand it. Listen every day. Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think Radio. Catch up on past episodes and hear any of the MPB programs you've missed on the MPB Public Radio app. Available on iTunes and Google Play. Listen live to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio. Search MPB Public Radio. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Hi, I'm Dr. Michelle Owens. I'm Dr. Allie Brown. Join us on Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio, where we talk about issues related to health from a woman's perspective. Listen to us on Southern Remedy for Women on Fridays on MPB from 11 to 12. You don't have to be a woman to call in. So we'd love to hear from you. It's the show for women and the people who love them. Join us tomorrow at 11 o'clock. We'll be taking your calls to answer all your health questions. It's Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and we're talking about all kinds of different things because it's open line day. That means you can call in with any kind of question you might have about the health of your children or family, and we'll do our best to uh, answer it on the air for you this morning, or we'll see if we can bird dog it and uh, give it back to you at at a different time, later time. A lot of good discussions about all kinds of different things. I got a caller that couldn't stay on the line, but they did have a question here. So it says, is there any kind of early test for pancreatic cancer? So pancreatic cancer, just to sort of back up a little bit. So the pancreas uh, is an organ that does two big things. It helps to digest food. And the other uh, thing that it does is it produces insulin, which allows us to uh, to utilize glucose for energy in the body. Uh, and uh, if either parts of that don't work, you can have lots of different problems like diabetes, uh, particularly type 1 diabetes, uh, or you can have uh, lots of problems with digestion. So pancreatic cancer, uh, and the pancreas sits, it's pretty near the stomach, so it's just behind and underneath the stomach, uh, and uh, it connects to the intestines to secrete some of those digestive enzymes. So if you if you block up the pipe, so to speak, within the pancreas, because it has all of those digestive enzymes, it can be a real nasty situation where it starts to break down those normal tissues in the pancreas. If you have a cancer, the biggest, uh, the biggest problem with pancreatic cancer is because of where that organ sits uh, and because you have to have a, a big, uh, typically a big cancer uh, to produce symptoms, uh, there's really not a good way to diagnose that. As far as any test, uh, there aren't any good screening tests for pancreatic cancer. Most of the of the times that we pick it up is either through problems that somebody's having uh, in their um, biliary system. In other words, they may be jaundiced. 
then and have a tumor in the head of the pancreas uh, next to that drainage system from the gallbladder, or if they have pain in their abdomen because of blockage of those normal drainage systems in the pancreas. Uh, so unfortunately, we don't have a good lab test for this or a screening test that would pick it up. A lot of people would bring up, well, what about an MRI or a CT scan? Because sometimes we do, uh, if we're getting a CT scan or an MRI for other reasons, sometimes we'll pick up uh, cancers early. Uh, it's always better in any kind of cancer to catch it earlier. Pancreatic cancer is, is one of the biggest ones, though, because it can, you know, if you get it early enough, you can do surgery, uh, which is the definitive way that you can you can treat most pancreatic cancers. It's still not recommended, however, to get, you know, wide-scale MRIs uh, in, in somebody. It, it, what happens is you end up picking up all kinds of false positives. You can have little cysts in the pancreas. You can have um, benign tumors in the adrenal glands which sit on top of the kidneys, sometimes other problems with the kidneys that you never would have picked up. And a lot of times it can lead to some false positives where the patient would be uh, taken to surgery to try to figure out what those things are. And, of course, you can have complications with those. So, unfortunately, it would be nice. It would be great to develop a test, uh, blood test, or a simple test that you could do on somebody to prevent that. You could catch it early enough. But a lot of work in, in those areas as well in cancer research about uh, trying to uh, develop early test of prevention so that we can uh, treat these patients appropriately. So uh, so a lot of lot of work to be done in those areas. So we're talking about all kinds of different things this morning, and I would love to hear from you this morning with your calls, uh, uh, comments. Uh, we're going to take uh, one more break here. When we come back, we're going to get to another uh, call and email and talk a little bit about drug prices and what's going on with those. We'll be right back on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens after this break. Conventions are over, candidates have been nominated, and with less than three months to Election Day. You don't know what's going to happen between now and then, but we'll be here to help you understand it. Listen every day. Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think Radio. Your favorite MPB Think Radio shows are now available on your favorite podcast app. So open that app and subscribe to any local program you love, like Everyday Tech. Android does have the most delicious operating system, I find. Jelly, is it Jelly Bean? The Gestalt Gardener. What's up? What you got going on? And, of course, MPB's Season Pass with myself, Sam Wells, and Jay White. That's my guys, man. So what are you waiting for? Go search and subscribe today. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. 
This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and we're talking about all kinds of different stuff on the radio today, from shots to different infections to cancers, all kinds of things, because it's open line day. We've got plenty of time for you to call in with your question. The number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email us at Oops, kids and teens at mpbonline.org. Sorry, parts of my brain just cut off at times. So we have Ellie in the. It does happen. It happens, but it, here's the thing, Jay. It happens a lot. What's the, what's that? I, I know, I know about that also. <laughs> I'm still recovering for the Olympics, by the way. So I stayed up way too late every night. Uh, my wife uh, had a program that she watches every week. She DVRs it, and the Olympics were recorded over it. And I went into the. Uh, living room last night, and I was like, wait, the Olympics are, I thought the Olympics ended. This says live. How is this live? This is not live. And she was like, settle down. That's I was right. like, oh, I'm totally confused now. Do a little time travel there. All right, we have Ellie in the studio this morning. Good morning, Ellie. Good morning. So you had a question about a common viral infection, right? Oh, yes. Um, my son, mm-hmm. who is two and a half, he has hand, foot, and mouth this week. Okay. And it is the fourth time he has gotten it. Um, and I just wanted to know, uh, it, is there anything... He's in daycare. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what you going to do? But is there anything that we can do to maybe not keep catching it? Is there a vaccine? Is there anything treatable? Anything. So, so common disease to have at this, at this age. Um, it's, uh, it, the reason why you have such emotion in your, in your question is that it can be horrendous, particularly at that age to deal with. So hand, foot and mouth disease is caused by a virus called Coxsackie virus. Uh, it can also, you can have a similar presentation with other viruses. So some of the enteroviruses, uh, can do this as well. Uh, we treat them the same way, so it really doesn't matter, and we really don't test too much for it. But the common symptoms, the reason why we call it hand, foot, and mouth disease, it sounds like some cattle disease when you first mm-hmm. tell people who you're like, what? Well, they oh, have yeah. what? Um, so you have these lesions, these little ulcers uh, in the mouth, usually on the palm of a hand and then two feet. And usually, for whatever reason, you can have you can have any kind of combination of those. So some kids will just have the lesions in their mouth. Some of them will have it on their hands, on the palms of their hands or the soles of their feet. Uh, the, the ones on the hands and the feet, they tend to have sort of a reddish or erythematous base and have a little white spot in the middle of them. Uh, in the mouth, it looks like an ulcer, and it hurts. It's That's the biggest thing is it hurts. It causes a sore throat. And in a toddler, uh, you have a hard time getting them to eat or drink anything. Um, other than, you know, over-the-counter medications like Tylenol, uh, Advil uh, for pain, uh, there are some topical things that we could use in the mouth, you know, that can sort of numb things up. We tend not to do that, though, in kids. We used to do it a lot 15, 20 years ago. We don't do it a lot anymore just because of safety reasons. Um, but those are some of the things that you could, you know, you could try. Now, Ellie, yes, so there is nothing to do to repeat this. The reason why kids get it is just like you mentioned, in daycare situations and schools, uh, it travels rampantly from person to person. Uh, it's transmitted mainly through secretion. 
emotions. So they cough on their hands, and we know what toddlers do. They do gross stuff with their spit (laughs) and other things. So, uh, yeah, it gets passed around pretty quickly in those environments. I I like to call those environments cesspools. It has nothing to do with cleanliness. Uh, it has everything to do with behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, of, of, and that's just what toddlers do. Um, the good news is as they get older, there's less likely likelihood decreases that they would get that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the summertime, we do see that spring, summer, uh, sometimes in the fall. Uh, that's a very common time to see Coxsackie and some of the enteroviruses. So nothing to do to prevent it. You can't take anything. Uh, it sort of falls into that category with normal cold and, and upper respiratory infection viruses. Okay. So sorry if I could I, 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 if we could develop that, then I could just retire and market that. That, that would, be, would awesome. be awesome. It would be awesome. But is there, there is there a vaccine or anything like that in the works? There's no vaccine that I know of that people are looking at. So with any kind of vaccine uh, development, you have to look at you know risk versus versus uh, you know what what do you what's your bang for your buck basically. And most of the kids with this don't require hospitalization. And other than just the pain and suffering part, that's the biggest thing. So that's probably the reason why they haven't looked at a vaccine there. So hang in there. It'll it'll get better eventually. I hope so. And for whatever reason, some kids get it multiple times like that. And when there's, you know, there's no need most of the time to go looking at their immune system to see if there's any. I mean, some kids just get it. So. So hang in there. Thank you. All right. All right, let's go to Shirley in Long Beach. Good morning, Shirley. Morning. Thank you for calling. Uh, thank you. What's your question for us this morning? Um, I recently learned that my two older children's father has hemochromatosis that runs in the family. Um, I also have an older sister and a younger sister who married men who have hemochromatosis. Um, Anyway, my question is, have there been any breakthroughs in the treatment of that, and how is that best diagnosed? So, So hemochromatosis is also called iron overload syndrome. So basically what happens in the in the body's metabolism of iron, which we use in our red blood cells to help carry oxygen, that's the main thing that it's used for. A couple other things, too. Everybody needs iron in their diet to... Uh, to help out with that uh, with that mechanism, uh, in in people who have hemochromatosis, though uh, they tend to build up too much iron, and uh, that can be a problem because too much iron in your tissues tends to get deposited in the heart. It can be deposited in the pancreas, uh, so it can lead to uh, heart failure later on. It can lead to all kinds of joint problems. So you, typically, you can have arthritis because of iron deposition in the joints. Um, the the biggest treatment you ask about is there any kind of treatment for this? The the most effective treatment is something that sounds a little barbaric. It's basically bleeding. So what you do is you uh, you draw off blood on them every so often to try to keep the iron levels down and try to minimize uh, any iron in the diet because they hold on to it. Um, so much it is uh really you know it's something that can run in families so if one person has it their children would be at risk for it um it's genetically uh passed down so you need to to watch out for that uh the people who treat hemochromatosis are usually hematologists uh they may involve uh somebody in the field of genetics as well and you might want to you know go see somebody about genetic testing there is a genetic test to test for hemochromatosis, so families could potentially 
uh, you know, get that depending on what, what insurance they have. But, yeah, that basically going and, and getting uh, blood drawn off, just like you were giving blood at the blood bank, that would be um, that that would be the thing that you do every so often, and if you catch it early enough, uh, that's that's uh, you know pretty effective at uh, keeping those levels down, so that you don't have some of those complications. We got a couple of more minutes left. We thank you, Shirley, for that question. It's a, certainly something that's common in adults. Let's go to Lisa in Jackson, who has a question. Good morning, Lisa. Hi, how are you? Good. Um, uh, quick question. I just saw the movie <clears throat> Concussion last night. It was awesome. Ah, good. I was wondering if you've seen it, what you thought of it, and if you know of this uh, school doing anything to help prevent the problems. From- yeah, I haven't seen it yet. It's on my list, though, so I really want to go see this. So the movie Concussion sort of follows its real-life uh, dramatic uh, enactment of uh, right. what went on with uh, football concussions. Uh, uh, several decades ago with uh, looking at uh, how that their football players, particularly professional football players, um, uh, were developing early dementia. They were developing some psychiatric illnesses that were, that were causing them you know, to sort of say, okay, what's the cause of this? There's a lot of research in this now because of not just the movie, but because of everything that came out of that discussion. Um, in Mississippi, there are several different uh, ways that we try to prevent concussion. Every school is required to uh, have every player and parent sign a concussion form that has a couple of things on it. Number one, it, it tells you about the risk of playing sports and concussion so that you're aware of that. Uh, some of the safety measures, particularly properly fitted equipment, a lot of uh, schools are doing a better job of doing that, particularly in football. Um, and then if you do have a concussion, and that's defined really well in these concussion forms, uh, there is a procedure now to keep you out until it's safe to bring you back. And what some parents I've heard that got sort of frustrated with this because they want to see their kid play, and they may have some really mild symptoms like even a mild headache, it's it's a graduated return to play, which is the term. So it's really important that you don't force them back into uh, play too early, uh, that you give them a chance to fully recover because of these long-term side effects. And the more concussions you have, it doesn't have to be a big concussion. You know, it can be small concussions. The more of them that you have, the more risk there is of dementia uh, and these other problems down the line. So, uh, yeah, that movie is on my list. So I, I intend to see that. And I, I'm sorry I haven't seen it uh, so that we could discuss it further. But it's a big issue. I think we're doing a much better job, particularly in players that have concussions, in identifying it, pulling them out early, not allowing them to play. Uh, I, you know, I don't know of a coach that hadn't received uh, that I've talked to that hasn't received some uh, good in-service on this. So certainly an area that's a, that's a big deal these days with our kids playing sports. So thank you, Lisa, for bringing that to our attention. Well, that's about all the time we have for today. Hey, thanks for calling. I've enjoyed spending some time with you this morning talking about all kinds of issues. Next week, we're going to be talking about food allergies with Dr. Ray Rodriguez. So tune in on Thursday at 11 for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. Southern Remedy Kids and Teens is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from the members of the Foundation for Public Broadcasting in Mississippi. Today's show was engineered by Jay White. I'm Dr. Jimmy. You can join me next Thursday with Dr. Rodriguez for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.